just my choice. But when I um when I sent it to um Stevie, I said I don't know what you think about this, but it fits the mood, the moment, and the message. So I thought, right, we'll make a start with that. So now we're coming on to another book, and we're talking, still talking about the building of the temple, and that had been halted for 16 years. And, you know, it started with great enthusiasm, but the people faced discouragement and opposition, and the building stopped. And they found that doing God's will didn't always go as they expected it to. They faced the storm of opposition and they stopped the work, but then they found themselves in the doldrums of discouragement and nothing was getting done on the rebuilding of God of the Lord's house. And you know, we find ourselves in that position as well sometimes. We start doing what the Lord wants, we think the Lord wants us to do, we know what the Lord wants us to do, but then things go wrong. And we do question ourselves, don't we? You know, is this right? Should we be doing this? And this is the situation they found themselves in. But, you know, during this time, these 16 years, the people hadn't been idle. They just channeled their energies elsewhere. They were very busy looking after themselves, making their lives easier, making their lives more comfortable but no work was getting done on the Lord's house. And the thing was that they knew they'd been commissioned to rebuild it. But for 16 years, they had chosen to ignore God's instructions. They'd chosen to feather their own nest, so to speak. So they knew what they should be doing because we read here, there was a letter sent and it said, this is what King Cyrus of Persia says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He has appointed me to build him a temple at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Any of you who are his people may go there for this task. And may the Lord, your God, be with you. So they'd been sent back to, from exile with the express instructions and commission to rebuild the temple but they'd only completed half the task. But to avoid being guilty and to avoid having to sink their pride and turn back to the Lord, they rationalized their decision to cease work on the temple. And they justified the decisions they took. And we can all do that. We all find ourselves justifying to the Lord the decisions we take. And this is what these people were doing. And their, their justification, their reason was, maybe the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Well, I don't know who they thought they were kidding. They were certainly not kidding the Lord. They were only kidding themselves on that. They were looking for a reasonable excuse to cover their disobedience. Oh. And making excuses like this, made them feel as if they were doing the right thing, even though it wasn't what the Lord had told them to do. And they really were the great pretenders.
Sheila, you need to unmute yourself, sorry. Right, uh, let's go back a minute, right, thank you. Okay, I'll go back to, well, the reason was maybe the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Who did they think they were kidding? Certainly not God. They were only kidding themselves. They were looking for a reasonable excuse to cover their disobedience. And making excuses like this made them feel as if they were doing the right thing, even though it wasn't what the Lord had told them to do. You know, they were kidding themselves. The line, real is the feeling of make-believe, comes to mind from that song. They, you know, they were pretending that they were doing well, just as it said at the end. And we can be the same. We can be working hard at things we enjoy. We can be busy doing lots for the Lord. We can be busy doing things that make us feel better. But it's not what God wants us to do. And we expend so much effort into that. And yet it's not bringing glory to the Lord. But God saw right through their excuses and he sees through ours too. And he sent two prophets to speak to them. He sent Haggai and Zechariah to bring his word to the people. And we're going to concentrate the next two evenings on the message of Haggai. So I've just introduced Haggai and then Andy is going to read the first chapter. There's very little known about Haggai, but for a short time, the Lord used him in a mighty way. All his words from God came in one year, 520 BC, and his ministry lasted just three months and 24 days. And we can be that precise because he recorded the date of each one. They were short prophecies, but they were very powerfully delivered and they got an immediate response from the people. And I think one of the reasons for this is because unlike the prophets who spoke very elegantly, eloquently, but with great poetic flair, Haggai spoke plainly. He spoke directly to the people in a way that they understood. He was blunt and to the point. And he spoke straight into their situation, a situation of being a discouraged people, a situation of facing strong opposition, a situation of people who neglected the work of building God's house. These people had been taken up with the material, the tangible, the physical things in life, but they are neglected those things which are spiritual and eternal. And these are the important things. But you know, I think they were unaware of the problem. They started building the temple with great enthusiasm, but it hadn't been an easy task. They were discouraged by the opposition that they faced from local people. And somehow I think to them, the Lord seemed far away because when we're discouraged, the Lord does seem far away. He wasn't helping them. And after two years, they'd given up and they turned their minds to other things. 
And this was the situation that Haggai called, was called to address. So now I've asked Andy if he will read from a modern version, which is written in everyday language, to see if it has the same impact on us as it did on the people of his time. So Andy, Hello. if you would like to read for us, please. Yep. Haggai chapter one. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, this time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panelled houses while this house remains a ruin? No, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honoured, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the oil and whatever the ground produces, on men and cattle and on the labour of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message to the Lord, of, of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shatil, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of a whole remnant of a people. They came and began work on the house of the Lord Almighty their God on the 24th day of the sixth month in the, the second year of King Darius. Thank you, Andy. Well, God, Haggai certainly said it as it was, didn't he? He didn't mince his words. And the people knew exactly what he was talking about because it was what had been happening in their life. Lord's house, but they'd kept busy in other ways. They'd be making life easier for themselves. They made sure they'd got comfortable homes, good food, plenty of wine, nice clothes, money in their pockets. But had they forgotten 
that when Cyrus allowed them to return to Jerusalem, it was with the proviso that they build a house, a temple in Jerusalem. The question we've got to ask ourselves is, are we in danger of spending time making life easier for ourselves, forgetting that we are the temple of the Lord, that we are God's witness in the world? This message has great relevance for us today. So God spoke first to the leaders and he pointed out that there was a problem. He said, this is what the all-powerful said. The people say it is not the right time to build the Lord's temple. Now, in some versions, it says this people say it is not the right time to build the Lord's temple. And, you know, that must have come as a bit of a shock to hear God calling them this people, because they'd always thought of them as his people. And I think they would know that God was displeased with them. They were probably unsure of the reason because they thought they'd been doing a reasonable job. They'd begun building the temple. They'd built the altar. They'd laid the foundations. Surely that was the most important thing. But, you know, yes, it is very important, but it wasn't all that God had asked them to do. Building his temple was also what they had to do. And they had stopped partway through this task. They were satisfied with restoring the sacrifices and the altar. Surely that was enough. And, you know, as Christians, Christians can be like that. They can be content that they've accepted the sacrifice of Jesus as atonement for their sins and just rest on that not realizing that God has far more for them throughout their life. And, you know, God was aware of what was happening. He'd been watching over them for years. He knew they hadn't been idle or lazy. He knew that they'd been very busy building luxurious houses for themselves. He knew that not a thought had been given to the glory of God's house. They were telling themselves it was not the right time to build God's house, but God saw right through their excuses. God knows the true state of men's hearts. He sees through all our excuses to avoid doing his work. And now he wants his people to see the true reality of the situation. He wants his people to see what lay behind the excuses and efforts to justify their action. And God tells it as it is, even if the people hearing the message don't hear it. And sometimes it can come up as a bit of a surprise because when we first moved to Windsor, we were asked by the church to run a coffee shop. We were quite happy to run a coffee shop but we thought, well, we'll pray about it first. Oh, my goodness, it's a good job we did because the Lord spoke and the Lord spoke particularly to me. And the words that the Lord used were these. He said, uh, you can have no part in this for your heart is not right with God. 
Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive your evil thoughts, for I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and are held captive by sin. Well, do you know what? That came out of the blue to me. I had no idea that there was sin lurking inside me. But as soon as the Lord spoke about it, I knew that it was true. But you know what the wonderful thing about this passage was? He told me what the sin was and the verse in the middle told me exactly what to do with it. It says, repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. So as soon as the Lord pointed out that sin, I knew what to do. I went to the Lord and I repented. But, you know, the Lord wouldn't let me do this task for him until I was right with him. And the people of Haggai's time found themselves in a similar situation. They needed to get their priorities straight. They, they put their God first in their lives. And Haggai had chosen to speak to them about this. They needed to see, just as I did, they needed to see the sin that was in their midst before God could work through them. So how did God convince them of this? Well, he spoke through Haggai directly to the people. And he said, you people think the time has come for you to live in nice houses. You live in houses with beautiful wooden panelling on the walls. But the Lord's house is still in ruins. The Lord's house only had foundations and an altar. It had no walls. And when he's talking about the houses of the people, he's talking about expensive houses, luxurious houses, houses with wood panels, houses with ceilings. They were much more attractive than the house of the Lord. And the Lord was not pleased about this. So he spoke to them directly, just as he did with me. And he said, Think carefully about what you are doing. Consider your ways. Think about what you have done. It's interesting, isn't it? He doesn't berate them. He doesn't tell them they must try harder. He doesn't tell them they've got to do better, which is what we would do if we were talking to somebody. He says to them, look to what you've been doing. Look and see. Be honest about yourself. He asks them to give serious reflection to what lies behind, beyond the surface. He asks them to find the underlying causes of their dis dissatisfaction. And he points out to them the things that have been happening over the 16 years. They built their own houses, luxurious ones at that. They put immense effort into plowing and planting and planting vineyards. They had concentrated all their time on earning money, but they didn't have the sort of clothes that would keep you warm. And he said, you've been working hard, but you've had no reward. So he said, you've had poor harvests. You've had inadequate vineyard harvest. 
You've had mo the money you made doesn't go far enough. There's no satisfaction with your life. And after God had said this, he said, think on these things. Think on these things. Why should that be? You know, don't just go on moaning about it, but just look a bit deeper and find the reason for it all. He said, ask yourself, whose fault is it? He said, think carefully and honestly about your attitudes and your behavior. And consider whether these things could have an effect on the situation that you find yourselves in. And then he told them about the results of not putting God's first. He said, you will do a lot with no reward. And, you know, we're so familiar with that in the churches these days. We seem to do a lot, but with no reward. All the time you are busy doing things for yourselves, you will find discouragement. You will find no satisfaction. You will find spiritual drought, dryness and ineffective lives. And he said, there will be drought in the land, spiritual drought in your souls until you put me first in your lives no matter what I ask of you. I've told you before, there was a time I spent, when I spent lots of time reading books and it's something I enjoy doing. And there's nothing wrong with reading books. But slowly, slowly, I began to feel a spiritual drought in my soul. I began to feel discouragement. I began to feel no satisfaction. I began to feel spiritual dryness and an ineffectual life. And I shared this with my fellowship group. I don't know whether Yvonne remembers, but she was there when I shared it. Yeah, you remember? Yeah, I shared it. And do you know what? I asked them for prayer. And uh, I woke up next morning and I knew that God was putting thoughts into my mind. And he pointed out to me that my mind was full of other things. There was no room in my mind for him. I had neglected the things of the Lord. And consequently, there was no room in my life for him. My life was too full of other things. And other things were getting between me and my Lord. So do you have anything in your life? which is becoming your priority? Do you have anything in your life that's preventing you from spending time with God? It might be your hobby. It could be your family. Could be your job. Could even be that service, that work that you are doing for the Lord. It could take up all your time and you do not go to the Lord. It's so important to get our priorities right. We must not neglect God, because if we do, everything in our lives goes askew. So look what's happening to you because you stopped doing what I asked you to do, he says. Turn back to me. Continue building my house and I will be with you. 
And when you think about it, if we continued building his house and we are the temple of the Lord, if we built his house in ourselves, we built that temple, what a witness that would be to the world today. What a witness that will be for our neighbors and our friends. So then we get on to the results of neglecting the building of God's house. And in 1 Haggai 1 verse 9, he says, I will withhold my blessings until you get your priorities right and start building my house again. And do you know what else God says? He says, the drought that you see in the land comes from me. You know, if, if we said that to people today, they'd be horrified. But the Lord here says, I sent that drought. I blew away the crops. It, to us, it doesn't sound like the Lord, but it is the Lord speaking. You know, he says, you have to start being responsible for your behavior because it's your behavior that stops you enjoying the blessing. And the reason for that is because my house is still in ruins. While each of you runs home to take care of your own house. Now, you know, when I was teaching and the, uh, there was a child who misbehaved, I never used, I didn't really used to shout at them very often because there was no need, but I used to warn them. And I would warn them and I would say, if you do that again, you will have to come and sit down by me for however long it was, five minutes or whatever. And then perhaps you will change your thinking. And while they were sitting down there next to me, I'd say to them, look at those children playing in the sand. I'd say, wouldn't you like to be there with them? I said, you could be there if you behaved yourself and you played nicely. And somehow I feel that that's what, that's what the Lord is saying to these people. That's what the Lord is saying to these people. It's your behavior that causes me to do this. If you were doing my will, you would have no problems like this. And God's people had to realize that they were responsible for the choices they made. If they'd chosen to do God's will, they wouldn't have found themselves in this predicament. Obedience to God's will was the key in this situation. So we have to ask ourselves, how does this situation in the Old Testament apply to us today? Well, in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16, we are told that we are the temple of God and the Holy Spirit dwells in us. Now, in AD 70, this temple that they were building in 500 BC was destroyed by the Romans. And God's house in the world is now in his people because that is where his spirit resides. The problem for us is that although the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in our lives, the previous resident, the sinful self, refuses to go. You know, life would be so much easier if it just went and we didn't have you know, the two fighting one another. 
In fact, Galatians 5, 16 and 17 tells us, the sinful self inside us wants what is against the spirit, which is also inside us, and the spirit wants what is against the sinful self. These two things are always fighting against each other so that you don't do what you really want to do. So we're not too dissimilar to the Jews that Haggai was speaking to. We too have a choice. Are we going to listen to the spirit when he tells us to do things? Or are we going to listen to the sinful self? Which one are we going to choose to follow? Is our priority building ourselves up as the temple of God? Or are we neglecting that in favor of building up ourselves? Am I building for God? Or is my underlying motive to glorify myself? Am I fooling myself into thinking that that will make me look good, either in God's eyes or in the eyes of others? Am I one of the great pretenders of this world? God tells us that building up his house is to be our priority. For the Jews, it was an actual structure a temple that they were actually building. But for us, we have to look to ourselves. We have to look to our motives. We have to look to our attitudes and our actions. And it is to others that others look to see Jesus. So building up the temple of God inside us is important. So what do people see when they look at Christians and the church? Do they see the glory of God shining out from us? Or do they see the effects of neglect and the resulting discouragement? Maybe, maybe we've worked our socks off for the Lord, but there's been no long lasting results. We have to take a look at ourselves, consider our ways, are we doing it for him or are we doing it for some well-disguised selfish reason? And the problem is, you know, that we don't often recognize what is happening to us. We only notice that we are not following God, but following ourselves when we have a problem, when we become discouraged, when things don't go right or when we dry up spiritually. Then we ask ourselves and God where things went wrong. And, you know, that sinful self is very devious because it hides behind good intentions. We think we're doing something for the Lord when actually it's not really for the Lord. It's to make ourselves feel good. It's to satisfy that self in us. The motive behind the action is to glorify self and not the Lord. And sometimes we are told in James that we have to look to the motives behind the actions. It sometimes self hides behind our human nature. We become self-conscious. We're reserved. We're fearful. Shyness. I'll never forget reading in um, 
Calvary Road about how shyness was a sin, that came as such a surprise to me because I was thinking I'd always be shy. I'm afraid I stand here proving that, you know, the Lord can change you. But I put it down to human nature before, but actually it all stems from self. And if we see these things that stem from self as sin, they can be dealt with. They can be dealt with on the cross. So God is asking us to be very open and honest about ourselves, to admit when we have got our priorities wrong. He's asking us to bring, to bring us down to the point where we see ourselves as we really are. And if we just turn to God, he will show us when sinful self is intruding, but he won't leave us there. He will point us to the cross so that once more self, when we go to the cross, can be put to death. Sin will be forgiven. Sin will be cleansed by the blood of, the, of Jesus. And we will be filled by spirit. And Jesus is once more our top priority. And peace returns as we walk with him again. It's not always easy to put God first, is it? It can be very painful and it can be very humiliating. Some sins we can admit to quite easily. Some sins are a huge problem for us and they all need dealing with. We have to deal with the big stuff as well as the small stuff. And it just reminds me of... Um, something that happened a few months ago now. Um, I had some big stuff to take to the tip. I decided that I couldn't have the two big settees and I needed to get rid of one of my settees. So I chose the settee to go. And you know, it was a terrible time in my life because that was the settee that Richard always sat on. And it was so difficult to get rid of that settee. But you know, I knew that if I, if I was to move on and to move forward in my life, it had to be done because it was taking up a huge lot of room in my room, in my front room. And I could do without that, with that room. And it's the same with sin. Sometimes we have to get rid of these big sins that we find humiliating to bring to the Lord because they've taken up an awful lot of room in ourselves. And we need to get rid of them because somehow they seem to magnify and there's no room for the Lord when that's there. But we need to grasp this, you know, the horns, bull by the horns and just say, Lord, please forgive me. And in he does. The Lord is just wonderful nothing but nothing is too difficult for the lord no mess can be brought to the lord that he cannot mend and that is just wonderful to me so if i want god to continue building his house i need to deal with anything he shows me that is spoiling my relationship with him and this time God's people listened when the prophet spoke. 
they took his words to heart. No doubt they still remembered what happened last time they refused to listen to the prophets because the previous time they refused to listen, they'd been sent into exile. So this time they were going to take note of what God had to say. And their reaction was very different. It tells us they feared the Lord. And I think they feared the Lord because they knew what would follow if they didn't. So the Israelites resumed building the temple. They prioritized God's command to build the temple and they obeyed his command. And because of that, God promised to be with them. The difference in attitude and approach, and which had once been a, a chore, became something they were eager to do. That enthusiasm, which had disappeared when they were discouraged, returned. And they turned once more to doing things God's way. So consider your ways. Does God seem far away from you? If so, consider who's moved and it's not God. Are you hiding behind excuses? Are you neglecting the rebuilding of God's temple in you? And is obeying God the priority in your life? Amen. Well, if you're as um, <clears throat> shell-shocked as I am over the revelations about our, our hearts, then uh, we've only got to thank Sheila for being so open and honest and bringing that word from, from the Lord himself to us and for us to learn from it. The, the title that, uh, that I was given was Take a Look at Yourself. What we've been hearing this week so far, and today particularly, is what I recognise as persistent grace. The answer to an up and down Christian life is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. As it was with the Israelites, so it can be with us. So it has been with me from time to time. Things have become oppressive. Usually I find that temptation is what shows where I really am. Temptation comes with many different voices at several different times. It's at times like that when I am aware of Satan whispering in one ear that I hear in the other ear that still small voice, soft as the breath of Eden, that checks each fault, that calms each fear, and speaks of heaven. Give you an example. Whenever I have to prepare a sermon or a testimony like this evening, I know I need to be inwardly prepared. But the problem is, that that means 
I'm putting the emphasis on me. I've got to prepare. And in that moment, I betray a weakness because I hear a little quiet voice in my ear. It's Satan because he doesn't want me to give a testimony. He doesn't want me to glorify the Lord Jesus. He doesn't want me to preach a, quote, good sermon. And so he begins to whisper. I find that as I'm sitting or in my armchair or at the desk, he's whispering in my ear. He's, he's trying to turn me away from God's guidance by diverting my attention. Haven't you got some work to do in the garden? Is the voice in my ear. Well, of course I have, always have. Then, haven't you got a book to finish reading? Oh, yes, I have. I always have, because I read one book after another. Um, there's a film on TV that sounds exciting. Uh, you, you could be listening to watching that, you know. And so it goes on. The trouble is that he, he doesn't suggest things that don't interest me, but things I might well want to do. Some things that are attractive, but forbidden. Be aware, when he starts to hold in front of you something that you know is wrong, then we do need to recognize the enemy and to deal with it. You see, the trouble is, Satan specializes in sugar-coated temptations. Eve was the first to recognize that. So over the years, I've discovered that listening to the Lord is the one defense against the lies of Satan. That's why the benediction, which we say together at the end of almost every church meeting and other meetings as well, is so pertinent because we say, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And what we're saying is, Lord, without you, we can do nothing. We are nothing. But if you give us your grace in abundance, as you've promised in the word, if you open our eyes to see the Lord Jesus in every and each event in our lives, if we recognize the love of God far exceeds anything that Satan wants to draw us into, then we are safe because we bring our broken selves to the master who can remake us and bless us. So if you, like me, had temptations that are difficult, that are repetitive, and you are anxious about it, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. God bless you. And let's uh, move on into our little houses.